Hello and welcome to the Permanent Good Podcast, a podcast that's part movie club, part hangout sesh. My name is Craig Wells, a.k.a. Permanent Handle. And I'm Alex Good, a.k.a. Alex Good. So I need to talk about something that I think leads to a bigger, more relatable issue. So I got myself, I treated myself to a new tablet, new to me tablet, you know, I, you'll never catch me dead buying a brand new phone or a brand new tablet because I don't have $1,500 to throw around like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But I was able to get like a, like a Samsung Galaxy Lite tablet for like 200 bucks, and they're normally like 350 and I thought, perfect. Um, so I wasn't exactly expecting, you know, Apple engineering out of this bad boy, but mm-hmm. um, I have had it for about a month now. And I don't know if it's my, I, I've had it for about a month now and it is already charging slowly and it's like, check your connection. And I'm like, okay. And so I connect it to the cord and the power brick that was in the box and it still says charging slowly. And I'm like, okay, what's the deal? Cause it only does it sometimes. And so like. I'll just be like standing over my bed, unplugging and replugging my tablet until it decides like until it decides like, oh, I've decided that this is going to be the correct speed to charge with now. You're welcome. Oh, man, dude. (laughs) And tonight, I think I had the most egregious version of it. So basically, I charge my phone overnight and then I charge my tablet while I'm at work. Um, And. When I charge my tablet, in, it's a 50-50 chance on if it's actually charging or not. But I got home, it didn't charge, so I tried to plug it into a different outlet. And it gave me the most egregious notification ever, which was check your, you know, check your connection, make sure, you know, you're using the right cord. And it's like, it's charging slowly, it will reach 100% in 36 hours. Alex, the tablet was already at 45%. It's not like I was starting at zero. (laughs) Oh, no. So it's one of those things where I'm tempted to go onto like Temu or one of the other steal your credit card information websites and just get one of those like $7 uber fast charging cables. Or I go to an official source and buy one for like 30 bucks. But the fact of the matter is I might have to upgrade my accessories because I guess run of the mill charging cords just don't cut it anymore. Yeah, dude. See, I just don't trust things. Here's the thing. This has cost me too much money. I only buy new stuff when it comes to electronics. I I never trust uh, refurbished or anything like that. So when things like this happen, you're reinforcing my false beliefs. Oh, I want to make it clear. This is a new tablet in the sense of like, it wasn't refurbished. I'm, I'm, I'm like, it's not, you know, newest generation, but like oh. it was fresh out of the box. Sorry. Maybe I didn't make that clear. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. It is an so older model just, tablet, but it is brand yeah. new. And just the, ex- <sighs> yeah, dude, here's the thing. I don't know if that's an accessory problem. Or Apple's trying to make as much money as humanly possible, and they have a way of knowing when you've cheated the system. (laughs) And they're just like, no, we won't allow this. And so my tablet is a Samsung tablet. So all it is is a USB-C charging port, right? Yeah. So Mm -hmm. um, it makes sense how Apple 
is able to like divert that system because they have a unique charging port. But when you're an Android tablet, who are you trying to swindle out of buying your Samsung brand USB-C charger? No, you're that's crazy. Yeah, it's I don't know, man. This is one of those things where I'm like, I just want to buy what works. I would love to save money. So if we can just bring the prices down so I can buy what you want me to buy, that'd be great. But if other things work, then I'll just use that. But I, I don't know, man. It's just and I find it so frustrating because I'm one of those people that like. I've never been on like the cutting edge of technology and I'm okay with that. But Mm -hmm. that means when I do get technology, I'm like kind of used to it, not fully working. But when I do buy something at full price, I expect it to work. I mean, like I feel like that's a pretty reasonable expectation. Um, But I get so frustrated when simple things don't work. Like, you know, I bought headphones that were 80 bucks, which is I understand not a lot for over-the-ear headphones, but it is more than I no- normally pay. Like, I'm one of those guys that's like, if I'm paying more than 30 bucks for headphones, they better be, like, I better be able to hear the ocean perfectly. I better hear the fish in every drop of water. Um, And I bought these $80 headphones, and the noise canceling stopped working after, like, seven or eight months. And I'm like, well... That's kind of half the reason I bought them, but it's, yeah. but like it's long enough away to where like I couldn't make a case for warranty, but not so long to where I can justify buying another pair. And the headphones work fine otherwise. And I'm just like, guys, hey, remember in like 2006 when everything just worked? I miss that. Yeah, and still works. There are stuff that came out in 2006 that just still works, man. And and you don't even have to go back that far. I've been playing Pokemon on my 2DS for the last month, and that thing is holding on strong. Dude, I freaking love the 2DS, man. So I love good. it so much. Um, but that's my technology rant. Do you have anything funny to add or do you want to go to the movie stuff? Dude, I'm just let's talk about the movie, man. So we are in our observing Alex's movies month movies that he should have watched, but has not for some reason. And this week we are talking about full metal jacket. If you don't want to hear us talk about this movie in any way, shape or form, you can skip to this time code right here. Time code 30 minutes, five seconds. Now we said last week how this movie was going to be my little shop. And let me tell you it was, So I am going to pull up Pokemon Showdown on my web browser and just play a few battles while Alex talks about the movie. I don't even care if you're serious, dude. I don't even care. Because this movie is amazing. It is actually amazing. And there's quite a few few reasons why. I will say I went into this very apprehensively um, because it's Stanley Kubrick. And the last movie we watched by Stanley Kubrick was Clockwork Orange. And we... Walked away scarred. Craig it changed us. It changed us a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Somebody would so say like, it changed our relationship. <laughs> yes. So like, I I was a little worried about this, um, especially because it's a topic I know a lot about. So like, I've watched Hurt Locker. I've, we've watched. I mean, we've watched so many military movies. I don't even want to get into it. This one is so real. <laughs> they. I mean, 
everyone talks about this movie is distinct in the fact that it has two parts. It is well known that this movie has two parts and you, a lot of people like the first part and many people. So like as many people who like the first part, that many people don't like the second part. The first part is about 30 minutes long. The um, second part. I think it ends up may, being closer to 40, but regardless. 40 yeah. minutes. Okay. 40 minutes long. That means you have an hour and 15 of the other part that people don't like. I loved both of those parts for just different reasons. And I think Kubrick did an amazing job. I think the actors did an amazing job. And just like you can't get most, I would say most of the time, I don't give up points for how realistic stuff is. Just because if stuff is truly realistic... 90%, 95% 90%, 95% would just be boring because 95% of life is boring. This movie is so realistic and I'm going to give it extra points because so many people have tried to do what this movie did and this movie just does it so well. The boot camp scenes, dude, are stuff that I actually experienced and it looked like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's where I would have slept. That's where my bunk is. This is what it felt like in the Marine Corps. This is the whole reason why I'm doing this movie in the first place, by the way. I was in the Marines, and this is like mandatory viewing if you're a Marine. It just, you have to watch it. Um, And this movie's freaking incredible. It's incredible. Craig, you want to give your quick opinion on this Yeah, sure. So I, like you said, am not quick to give out points for the sake of realism for the exact reason that you said. Just because a movie is realistic, usually a side effect of that is boring. That yeah. That's just the truth of it. Um, like, the movie that I think about a lot when it comes to, like, realistic, but I found it boring, is Roma. I don't know if you remember Roma. Um, oh, yeah, dude. People freaking love that movie. It, for its realism, and I just didn't mm-hmm. connect with it. And on top of that... um. Something that I struggle with, and this is something that I think you are not surprised by at all, is there's a lot of um like military treatment in real life that I just like find unnecessary. And while yeah. you are correct, the boot camp scene is very realistic. I don't think it says anything one way or the other. And if you're going to do realism that intense, then I think that you have to say something in order to have it mean something. Um, and so the, the, the best part of this movie, the best part of this movie is Vincent D'Onofrio. That's just, that's, I'm planting my flag there because, um, Vincent D'Onofrio plays this, um, what would be the term cadet, uh, recruit recruit um and he is the drill sergeant's main target he is bigger he is heavier he is slower and just putting it bluntly the worst member of the squad like he is failing obstacle courses he is all in all just a bad soldier and so the drill sergeant like is doing his best to toughen him up and so for this 40 minute sequence we see Vincent D'Onofrio's character just get bullied down and down and down and down. And when you get to that end level, when you get to like the lowest of low that you could possibly get to, you have two options. 
you can either come back better, you can either rebuild yourself and be stronger than you were, or you can break. And, and Vince- he does both. <laughs> and he becomes a stellar recruit, doing better than everybody. And he snaps. And so we find, you know, through these training sequences that Vincent D'Onofrio's character is not meant for like the physical parts of the military, but he is an incredible marksman. And so they kind of pivot his training regime to focus more on the shooting, but he still has a lot of like scars from the physical part of it. And also the drill sergeant, even though they found his niche, even though they found what he is skilled in, the drill sergeant does not let up. He is just as tough on him before as he was previously, despite the fact that he is doing better. And so finally his character snaps He has a loaded rifle in the bunks and the drill sergeant goes into the bathroom where D'Onofrio's character is and starts yelling at him and D'Onofrio's character shoots him just straight up in the chest, kills him. And that was satisfying for me as an audience member, not because the drill sergeant is getting, in my opinion, kind of what he deserves in the sense of like, how do you not see this coming? How do you yell at hundreds and hundreds of people in the way that you do in a way so vulgar that like, I really can't imagine any other sphere where this would happen. And this, and you don't get an outcome like this. Um, So I was honestly more relieved in the sense that I, as an audience member, didn't have to see that drill sergeant again. I knew that that was the end of the drill sergeant character. Um, and the last big thing that I want to say that I think covers how I'm going to feel about the second part of this movie is Joker, the main character uh, of the movie. He is the protagonist, the, the character that this movie centers on. His name is Joker. He is so boring. Oh my God. He is like milk toast like default character creator kind of person. And so when the movie pivots out of boot camp and we start seeing Joker like in action and in the field, I could not, I tried really hard because I'm like, the movie is pivoting. This is a new chance. I want to give this movie another opportunity. And I think that Joker's lack of depth really kept me from doing that. Okay. No, this is the part where I disagree with everything you've said. <laughs> okay, so in the Marines, we call them drill instructors, um, and then the recruits, and then obviously there's a difference between Marines and soldiers because soldiers are Army. So I just got to say that so, you know, a couple people don't get mad and write letters and stuff. So the drill instructor trains um, about 100, well, usually between 50 and 80 recruits in a cycle. The, the cycle in this movie is eight weeks. Uh, eight weeks from you know starting boot camp when you get shave your head till graduation when you see your family eight weeks uh for me it was 13 and now they've added an extra week so now it's 14 so they do a cycle and they usually do three or four cycles a year no that's not true they usually do a lot of cycles so for me mine my boot camp's three months long my instructors did three cycles a year if theirs is only eight weeks they would usually take a month for probably a month off so they're doing hundreds of recruits a year in the cycle. And you'd go through your drill instructor for like three years. So this guy 
easily trained over a thousand recruits. When you join the Marines, you know it's going to be hard. So when you get yelled at and you get called the worst names and you want to cry, some people do cry, and you wet your bed and you, you just want to break, that's the point. That's the whole point. And the reason he yelled at him, he didn't think he was going to get shot, is because he trained a thousand people and has never got shot. And his buddies trained a thousand people and they didn't get shot. This doesn't happen often. It does happen. But here's another thing is a lot of people just don't like them. This is just a job to these people. They're like, I'm here to make Marines and here's how I do it. I'm going to put them through hell. So when they get to Vietnam, they're like, it's not as bad as this or this or it's the same. I'm used to this. I know what it's like. I know physically what I have to do and all that stuff. So you don't get to be like, well, he's a good shooter and not physically fit. Because when your buddy gets shot, you need to be able to carry him out there, carry him out of there. It doesn't matter if you're a good shooter. You need to be able to, you know, hold your part. So I get why they're hard on him. We had guys in my boot camp who got pushed so much harder because they just weren't in shape. So all of this, all the parts you didn't like, not only is it realistic that they got treated this way, I get why they did it. And I... That, so he's a senior drill instructor. There's other drill instructors. He's just a senior. He's like the head honcho uh, of ahead of all the other instructors. He's just difficult because he's been in for 20 plus years. And he's like, I'm going to make Marines and I need you guys to be hardened individuals. And I love this movie in contrast with the second part. So the first half and the second part, not only because the first half is so realistic. And when he shot the drill instructor, I'm like, I get it. I know why he did. Um, when I was in, we had so many people drop out because they said they wanted to kill themselves. That's like real. You hate it so much. You're like, I'm going to kill myself. And the second you say that, they pull you out. So you, so it doesn't happen. It still occasionally happens where people don't say, they don't tell anybody and they just do it. Um, but yeah, it is one of the hardest things you're ever going to do in your life. And I love the contrast to the second part of the movie. So when you, you say like it, the first part doesn't really say anything. I think it says everything when you're just comparing it to the second half. You're just going back and forth. You're like, it was all about discipline. It was about haircuts. It was about being sharp, maintaining your uniform, memorizing stuff. And then the second you get to Vietnam, nobody has a haircut. Nobody cares about any of this stuff. All of that training goes out the window. Everyone's yelling, sir, yes, sir, whatever, I, I, to their drill instructor. And the second they're in the field and they actually have a commanding officer who's like giving them, you know, reports, be like, hey, you need to go do this project. They're talking back to them. So it's just like a very distinct difference between what you think the Marine Corps is going to be like from boot camp, and then you go out and experience it. What you're told and what you're prepared for, and then you go out and see people die, and you just can't handle it. And I loved that dichotomy. I I think a lot of people are like, well, Joker's boring. Joker is the average Marine. He is what most of them are like. Um, you see those characters... Uh, like the gung-ho gunner who just wants to shoot everything is just blatantly not following orders, wants to do their own thing. There's those guys. Most Marines are like Joker. They're not grunts. They don't know what to do. They're calling shots. They're vanilla, but they're that's real. That's what that would be if the audience is in the movie. We are Joker. Like there was brainwashing going on in boot camp, but he didn't quite buy into it. He just loves being around Marines. He likes being a Marine. But he's like still a normal guy. He's still got a personality. And now that normal guy with a normal personality is faced with what do I do when people get shot? What do what happens? 
boot camp prepared me for a lot, but I don't know what to do now. Who's going to be there to tell me what to do? This guy, like, dude, this movie is so good. And there's still parts I didn't like, um, but there's so much of it that not only is accurate, it's just like telling you how bad things were and what these people were prepared for. And, and it shows you what, how they were prepared by doing that 40 minutes in the beginning. Like this is how these people were trained. And then a couple months later, they had to go deal with that. So yeah, it's a masterpiece, dude. It's a masterpiece. <laughs> um, <laughs> so freaking good. I really think that what it boils down to is uh, this movie is not going to change your views about anything. I think if, um, and, and I think that Alex and I are kind of a very clear and perfect example of that, of like, if you are interested in a movie that showcases the realism of it all, then like, yeah, you're going to get that out of this. But if you're someone who like doesn't vibe with the military in a lot of ways, then this is not going to be the movie that like gets you on their side. Um, We've watched, we did, you know, micro themes. We did warm. We watched Saving Private Ryan in 1917. This is a totally different war movie. Yeah. Completely different. Um, Tells a different story. Does it a different way. This is Stanley Kubrick's take. I don't normally like war movies. I don't seek them out. The And there's a reason why I'm 26. I joined the Marine Corps almost 10 years ago, and I never watched it. I never watched it before I went in, never watched it when I was, when I was in, because I just don't like war movies. This one is just done just how I like it. <laughs> um, To talk about this movie in a way, to get away from the central theming of it all, um... I also think that this movie had some pretty buck wild pacing issues in the set mm-hmm. and pacing issues is a weird thing to say because they are specific choices. It's not like, yeah. um, you know, like you said, it's not like he didn't know everything what he was, was doing. done on purpose. And so the last like 30, 35 minutes of the movie are all about a single contact with a single enemy sniper. And that's the whole third act. And again, that's that realism bleeding through again of like when you are in a real combat zone, you know, it's not Call of Duty where you can make a reckless push and you'll get a hit marker because you know that you're shooting in the right direction. Like if you peek with a real sniper, they dome you. You're gone. Um, That's it. And so it makes sense how a single sniper could pin down six people for, you know, 30 in movie minutes. And like I said, it circles back to like the realism aspect of it, of like, if you like seeing stuff like that, then the tension is super high. It, you, you feel that idea of like, none of us can move a muscle because we don't have a choice. Um, and when they finally do get the sniper... Um, they are in the building with the sniper and this was just kind of a personal gripe. They spend a long time toying with the dying sniper to a point where yeah. it felt a little disrespectful. Yeah, of course it did, dude. Um, these are not good. There's element. Not all of them are bad guys, but they're not good guys. This is a, believe it or not, this is an anti-war movie. Yeah. It's there's, 
At no point in time are you thinking, oh, these are the good guys. You feel bad for everybody. You don't like the drone instructor. You you feel bad for Private Bio. You're like, dude, why are you doing this? Like, there has to be a way to get out of this. This sucks. You feel bad for, um, you don't feel bad. You don't like any of the recruits because they participate in the blanket party. Then they go to Vietnam and you see how they treat the locals. You hear how they talk about the locals. You hear how they talk to each other. And then you see how the, this treatment of the, even the guy who's trying to do the right thing and put her out of his misery. She suffers forever, dude. This is, whole thing is anti-war. It's just bad thing after bad thing after bad thing happening. And even the quote-unquote good guys are making so many bad choices and making people suffer that it's hard to be on their side. Like Joker's a regular dude. He's supposed to be like any of us. This chick's suffering for like four minutes, dude. And she's barely knows English and is just saying, shoot me. Yeah. And they're just arguing over it. Like, it's crazy. This is an anti-war movie that I love. <laughs> but um, it's, yeah. Almost no character in here is redeemable. They're not good dudes. Yeah. And so I don't think I'm going to be able to say anything more that I kind of haven't already said. So, sure, man. That's fine. Do you have any major um, points that you haven't hit yet? Um, no. See, I didn't. Did you get? I don't think we've watched enough Kubrick movies. Did you get a Kubrick vibe from this? Um, yeah. Uh, specifically with what'd you say the, the character's name was? Bly, Blythe, Bill, Vincent D'Onofrio. Um, gotcha. Oh, Private Pile. Private Pile. Thank you. Um, he is a very Kubrick character. Um. I mean, he's the he's the character in this movie that does the Kubrick stare. Oh, uh, yeah. I didn't like that. Um, I didn't like that. Did you not like it because you know what a Kubrick stare is and seeing it kind of felt like cheesy, like a like a fourth wall break? Yeah. Okay. It pulled me out of it. I've been around crazy people who wanted to kill people. They don't look like that. I'm not saying they don't. The, that was a school shooter stare that pulled me out. Not a, I'm so mad and so depressed. I want this to be over stare. So when sure. I saw that and it's for a long time, it, it straight up pulled me out, dude. Cause there was, there was no illusion of what was going to happen next. We all knew what was happening next. Um, yeah, I don't think that it like took me out in that way, but yeah, like I said, I'm, as previous episodes have gone to showcase, I'm not exactly Kubrick and I don't exactly see movies the same way is maybe yeah. the best way to put it. Um, yeah, so I am respectfully distancing myself from any larger conversation in this movie. Um, just cause I feel like I so don't exist in that sphere to where I have no desire to debate people on whether or not an opinion about this movie is right or wrong. Um, I've already had a pretty good conversation about it with someone who does like this movie a lot. And I like explained my general gripes with it. And he was like, yeah, no, I totally get it. That's totally fair. And I'm like, cool. Awesome. Then we need to put this to bed because I, if we talk about this movie anymore, someone's going to get angry. Yeah. I got you, man. Yeah. I freaking loved it. I get what people don't. I also get why people just think this is a weird movie. I think there's a lot of people who watch the third, the first part, and they're like, well, this makes sense. What's going on with the second half? Like, this doesn't make, they just don't get it. They just, it's not even that they like it, don't like it. They just don't understand what's going on. I understand that too. I just, I think being in it 
fills in a lot of the gaps um, for people who weren't. That is just basically unexplained nonsense. Um, you're just like, oh, we're just supposed to be on the same page. All these 19 and 20 year olds just want to kill people, and we're going to pretend like that's normal. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty. I get it. I just, you just, you just know. And um, I think this movie. That's why this movie has like a special place in like the USMC sphere. It's because like we can fill in the blanks. But I think everybody else is like, what the, f- what am I watching? Am I supposed? Is this? Am I supposed to be? Who am I rooting for? Am I not supposed to be? What? Am, what is? Am I not supposed to be rooting for anybody? Are there good guys? Are there bad guys? Because really, I just feel bad for the locals. Like we all know how Vietnam turned out, and how sure. they're talking about them doesn't make them yeah. look like. So I totally get it, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um. So I'm gonna give this my generic well because c- this movie is well made. There's actually some moments of cinematography that I really enjoyed. Like there's mm-hmm. a long shot of um Joker walking through the combat zones of Vietnam with like a bunch of tanks in the background. And that shot goes on for a while. And like, you really get a second to kind of like take everything in. And I really liked that shot. Um, so I want, so I'm going to give this my well-made movie, but I did not vibe with its score. And that is a four out of 10. Yeah, that's fine, dude. I, the, the people I've defended this movie so hard. They're going to think it's a 10 out of 10. Um, I know for a fact I would give this movie a higher score if I watched it again, but upon first viewing it's eight and a quarter for me. Oh, so low. Oh my God. How could you, how can you live with yourself? <laughs> it's no nine out of 10. It's no 10 out of 10. <laughs> but yeah, this, I freaking, this movie is phenomenal. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on. Alex, what do you have for our middle segment? Craig, uh, I think it's time to show your acting chops because we're doing the Juilliard audition, bro. I'm. This I've is been my w- favorite thing to make you do. <laughs> I've been waiting for this one to come back because now that we've pivoted away from like the improv structure, this is what remains. Um, so I'm excited to kind of play in the space again. All right. I will give you the option. Do you want to do one long monologue or two? two shorter ones let's do two shorter ones just so we're not you know okay just so we're not hung up on the same thing this is these are all movies we have seen and i'm very excited to see how fast you pick up on them. <laughs> awesome here you go here's the first one uh i'm just i i know i shouldn't be scanning it ahead of time but i, I there's a name in here that i just don't recognize so we have seen this movie we haven't talked about it in depth okay. on the podcast if okay. at all cool so cold right, read let's just do a yeah cold read um you are giving advice you are the wise character in this okay there's nothing new in human experience mr tully each generation thinks it invented debauchery or suffering or rebellion but man's every appetite and impulse from the disgusting to the sublime is on display right here all around you. all right I think it's not really coming across that you're like older, okay, and more mature. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you can change your voice or your inflections, but really lay on the what wisdom professor mentor motif. Uh, you could start from each generation thinks. Each generation thinks that it invented debauchery or suffering or rebellion. Okay, I'm gonna. We're. I can't let this. You sound like Bane. 
Okay. Um, and so that's a problem? Gonna... And that's a problem? Yeah. Okay. I don't really get mentor vibes from Bane. So if you could, if you want to stay with that voice, that's fine. It's a choice. Um, you gotta, then you have to lower your voice. <laughs> it's real. And take your time. You're, you're, you're in no hurry. Okay. <laughs> okay. Same spot. Each generation thinks it invented debauchery or suffering or rebellion, but man's every appetite and impulse from the disgusting to the sublime is on display right here, all around you. So before you dismiss something as boring or irrelevant, remember that if you truly want to understand the present or yourself, you must begin in the past. All right, I'm going to stop you there. Yeah. I We are closing in on perfection here. Okay. So this is just nitpicking. Yeah. Um, How good are you at Boston accents? Do you feel comfortable hey, trying? Hey, I'm from Boston but over here. Yeah, got to stay into the low mentor, <laughs> elderly, taking your time. But we got to be up in New England. Oh, gosh. Okay. I got to go through some layers to get to this one. Yeah, okay. That's fine. Take your time. <laughs> there's any exercises you want to do, that's fine. I don't know if this is possible. Do people from Boston grow old enough get to old. have an old voice? <laughs> they die at 50 from alcoholism. Because <laughs> no matter how close to Boston I get, it's going to circle around to Jersey. And if there's one thing I know about Bostonians is they love being mistaken from people from Jersey. (laughs) I'm I'm focusing on Matt Damon and Goodwill hunting so hard. And my two points of reference. Yeah. My two points of reference are Matt Damon and Goodwill hunting and Ben Affleck in the town. You know, you got to get and Ben Affleck also in good one. No, because the town has that iconic line of um, I got to put I got I want to put this town in the rear view. (laughs) So before I'm going to tell you right now, I have to do it. I've been procrastinating because I know it's going to sound bad and we just have to embrace the badness of it. Okay, I'm expecting it to get better. The more you talk. Okay, so so before you so before you see, that's just New York. So before you dismiss something as born or irrelevant, remember that if you truly want to understand the present or yourself, you must begin in the past. So in so in order to dismiss, that's Bane again. Huh. How do dialect coaches do it? <laughs> Hit me with the accent, bro. Oh, God. So before you dismiss something as born or irrelevant, remember that if you truly want to understand the present you or yourself, you must begin in the past. History is not merely the past, Mr. Tully. It's an explanation of the present, which I understand did not have any of the other inflections, but we had to establish a baseline. Sure. Do you want to try it again? Exactly the same, but deeper? So before you dismiss dismiss something as boring or irrelevant, remember that if you truly want to understand the present or yourself, you must begin in in the past. You must begin in the past. History is not merely in the past, Mr. Tully. It's an explanation of the present. All right, let me hear from history, just the last line, but now the elderly mentor on top of that. History is not merely the past, Mr. Tully. It's an explanation of the present. Not bad. Did you figure out what movie this is from? Uh, no. It's The Holdovers, dude. 
oh sure fair enough yeah i haven't seen that i watched that movie like three months ago i remember nothing oh, <laughs> nothing. this is when uh paul jimai is in the museum with them sure and they're looking yeah. at the statues and stuff all um, right then i gotta be so honest with the audience a little peek behind the curtain alex had to step away for about five minutes while we were doing that i did look up a boston pronunciation guide video and watch that <laughs> for a few minutes i don't know if it came across <laughs> You're like wow he got so, so much good better. so fast <laughs> <laughs> all right your second reading the only clue i'm gonna give you is just like play it clueless but confident okie dokie let's see what we got bacon in the oven yeah 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 yeah. not not yet a match okay well it looks like we got about one degree celsius celsius off on that uh magenta color i guess i am gonna have to quantify the 7f reading on this and that would run it through the surface gravity viscosity I could plug it into the Marshall formula, and that would uh, that would give me a more accurate mix design. To me, they're just a little bit off. What I can do on that is run a pap smear, a test, and then uh, tone it down a little bit. <laughs> no notes. You got the part, man. That's beautiful. <laughs> you know what it, that's from? It feels like I know this isn't it based on the words in here, but it feels like Matt Damon in Interstellar. This is Beverly Hills Ninja. Okay. just making stuff up. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, if I'm going to try and get you as close to Chris Farley as possible, I mean, it's not bad. I mean, come on. Okay. If you want to do another reading, now that you know what you're reading. Yeah. And see if you can get as close to him as possible. (sighs) Okie dokie. Let's see what we got (laughs) bacon in the oven. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not yet a match. Okay. Well, it looks like we are about... One degree Celsius off on that uh, magenta color. I guess I am going to have to quantify the 7F reading on this, and it would run through the surface gravity viscosity. I, I could plug it into the Marshall formula, and that would uh, that would give me a more accurate mix design. To me, they're just a little bit off. Uh, what I can do is run a pap smear uh, test and then, uh, then uh, tone it down a little bit. Even better than the first one. Yeah, honestly. Pretty not too shabby. So dude. good. Hey, cast me as the next Shrek. Nice. Um, all right. Um, we're going to move on to our one hit wonder. And this is, we're going tried and true on this one. When I can't think of a one hit wonder, I pull up a screen rant list and we go <laughs> through it. So this list is titled five of the craziest game shows of all time and five that were hilarious by Keith Langston. This was published in July 31st of 2020. There weren't other important things happening there. So Keith is over here. Like, let's make sure we get a list of game shows going on. Um, I will say off the rip, they talk about fear factor in this article. We've talked about fear factor a lot on this show. So I don't <laughs> feel the need to retread that ground, but basically I want to go through this list and, um, I want us to talk about on whether or not we would participate in this show. All right? Yeah, man. Sounds good to me. So this first one, they list it as bizarre, but I don't think it's that bizarre. And that is 1 versus 100. Are you familiar? No. Oh, really? So 1 versus 100 is exactly what it sounds like. It's a trivia show where one person is the contestant, and they have to face off against 100 other people. Um. There have Do been they gradually s- get smarter? 
Um, or is it 100 people as a collective have to at, answer? Um, I forget exactly. I think it's one of those like, um, if anyone in the 100 gets the question wrong, then that person is eliminated. And so oh. the contestant is trying to weed out everyone until there's nobody left or a few left. And whoever Very is cool. remaining in the 100 um, splits whatever pot they were going to have. Um, Sweet, dude. And uh, shows like this have existed since then. Like, I think about, like, there's a show called The 1% or something like that, where it's mm-hmm. the same thing, where a group of people are answering the same trivia question, and if you get it wrong, you're eliminated. Like, of all the bizarre game shows to, like, start with, this one was not very bizarre. I, so I guess the more interesting question is, would you rather want to be the one or the 100? There's a lot of pressure on the one. Yeah. And I think I would make bad decisions under that pressure. I'd yeah. second guess myself. I'm going 100, dude. I agree. Yeah. Um, up next, we have a show called Friend or Foe that aired from 2002 to 2003. Um, Friend or Foe saw three teams of two compete against each other in a trivia match. Um, however, at the very, sorry, three teams of two compete against each other in a trivia match. After the other two teams are eliminated, the final team is given a lightning round of questions. However, at the very end, the two are asked to secretly decide whether they are friend or foe. If they both say friend, then they split the money. If they both say foe, no one gets the money. And if one says friend and the other says foe, then the foe gets to take home the entire cash prize. Um, I want to make it clear that if I was on this show, I would be the guy that got suckered out of the money. I would feel too bad to say foe. I would also be too paranoid. Like if I said friend, then by the laws of this show, I cannot be held responsible for us losing the money. I can only be responsible for me losing the money. Um, yeah. Did you know that Mr. Beast did a version of this recently? Uh, I uh, No, I did not. He locked two people in a room for 100 days. And at the end, they had him split the money. And they decided like this. Do you want to split it? Do you trust the other person? Or are you going to take it all by yourself? And they ended up splitting it. I'm convinced, given enough time with another person, they will definitely want to split it with me. Yeah. It's the... If I if this game show only takes place over the course of fifteen hour. minutes, hour, they won't know me well enough, and they'll treat me like a stranger and just hit foe. Um, but like, if you know that they are gonna, I'm, hit go, foe, I'm definitely gonna go friend. Yeah, just because it's on, it's televised, and I don't need people thinking I'm a bad person. <laughs> and also, if you know that they are gonna hit foe, there's nothing you can do about it. So you the, can burn them, so yeah, they can't get it. Yeah. That's the only thing that you have. So this one's crazy. This next one's crazy. Um, it's called Queen for a Day, and according to Screen Rant, aired from 1954 to 1970. Um, this show that was a long time. This show pitted desperate women against each other just to receive something that they critically needed. A group of women would be interviewed in front of an audience and asked to tell their tales of why they were the most downtrodden and hopeless of the group. Many women stated that they needed things like medical care, new appliances, or helping care for an ill child. The most miserable woman was deemed the winner. And got something. I, I imagine they got whatever they were asking for, I, I think is the implication. This is, 
basically what American Idol has come to. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> just, who has the worst life and needs the money? Who can we who can we make the best character package out of? Yeah, this is American Idol. America's Got Talent. This is all it's come to now. So, I mean, a strong pass, though, dude. I don't yeah, that so strong pass. Um, up next, we have The Elevator. Now, this is a show that I did watch um, from 2015 to 2016. Elevator was a horror game show created by Blumhouse and hosted by famous horror filmmakers, the Saska Sisters. Each episode mm-hmm. was based on a legend of a mass murderer or psychotic sadist. The teams would be taken into a haunted house where they'd have to complete challenges based on that episode's legend or theme. Contestants could be grabbed, followed and harassed all in a nearly pitch black room. So it's basically like a horror house escape room game show. Um, And here's the thing. I think I'd be down with it because every experience I've had with a haunted house is once I buy in to the haunted house, then like, I'm not worried about it anymore. Like once I realize I kind of like, I realize I'm in a simulation. You have to remind yourself. Yeah. I do that during movies that are really intense. I'm like, it's just a movie. It's not real. It's just a movie. It's not real. And then I'm fine. But like, sometimes it's too easy to get wrapped up and your brain will forget. I, uh, I'm not doing it for fun. I'm doing it to get something. If that makes sure. Sense. Yeah, for sure. This does not sound like a good way to spend a Friday night. No, I'm not doing that. And my friends are like, hey, do you want to go pay to do this cool experience? I'd be like, no, I'm not paying money for this to happen to me. Um, up next, we have a show called Russian Roulette from 2002 to 2003. Um, okay, didn't make it far. <laughs> contestants would stand on a giant revolving cylinder. If they answered a question wrong, they pulled a lever, which sometimes would open a trap door beneath them, causing them to fall under the stage. Uh, contestants were forced to sign liability waivers before playing, and throughout the show's run, there were only a few accidents. Now, here's the thing. I think I remember watching this show too, purely because I remember watching a game show where people fell through the floor. And in my head, I always associated that with the weakest link. But it also yeah, might have been this. <laughs> I think this is a often used device in game shows. Um, so I can't pin down where it's coming from either. Um, I think I did a show of Sweeney Todd when I was in college and Part of the gimmick of Sweeney Todd is that he pulls a lever and the chair turns into a ramp and you slide down into the barbershop. And I was and I was one of the so cool. Yeah. And I was one of the guys that like would go down the chair. In fact, when we built the mechanism, I was the first one to go through the chair. And um, when we were ready, my director said to me, "Okay." Whatever you do, hold still. Yeah, keep your arms and legs inside, please. Okay, the arms and legs were not the problem. Because what ended up happening was when he pulled the lever, I, like, went into the fetal position almost. So I tucked my head close to my chest, bringing my head forward. And when I I didn't hit anything. But when I landed, everyone was like, oh, my God, Craig, are you okay?" Because my head was practically brushing up against the set at like gravity speeds. (laughs) Um, 
And so I bring that up purely because I'm sure if I were on this show, I would find a similar way to almost mess it up like that. <laughs> Trapdoors are terrifying, dude. There's a there's a op- opposite thing. I think they call it the toaster or a rapid elevator. Where a lot of times concerts will do it, where they start below the stage. I've seen Billie Eilish videos. Sp- yes, and they spring out, and they you time it and jump at the same time, and you just get crazy air. That looks like a Easy way to get hurt, bro. Easy way to get hurt. I don't. I don't want to. F- Cause jumping too high is terrifying. Getting double jumped on a trampoline, <laughs> man. <laughs> that is so scary when you're not trying to do it. Another story I like to tell from doing musicals is um, we did Cinderella my junior year of high school, and that show had a lot of ballroom dancing and. Um, the girl that I was my dance partner was like, like a shorter girl, not like short, but like, you know, I, I had head and shoulders on her. Um, and there was a part during one of the ballroom dances where like, I pick her up and like move her to the other side of my body. Just a very simple, like she's in the air for no more than like two or three seconds. Now, When we did this the first time, I did not exactly calculate how long my arms were. So I pick her up and I do a full extension and then I bring her back down. And so I set her down and her back is to me and she turns to face me and her eyes are are like aghast. Like she had just seen it, like her life flash before her eyes. And she goes, Craig, never lift me that high again. And I'm like, (laughs) okay. Sorry, didn't Her. think about that. My bad. Fully my bad. <laughs> um, and the last show that I'm going to talk about here is called The Chamber. Um, The Chamber, a show that literally tortured contestants as they tried to answer quiz questions, was canceled after just three episodes. Contestants would oh. be strapped into chairs and put into chambers. Temperatures could soar to 170 degrees Fahrenheit or drop <laughs> to negative 20. The chair would violently shake, oxygen levels were reduced, and air cannons blasted gusts of up to 140 miles per hour straight in their face. So, uh, you signing in on this one? I would do it now if you told me what was going to happen before it happened. Sure. Like, if you knew the list of things that they could do to you. Yeah, you don't have to tell me what you're going to do, but give me the options. And if I if there's even one that I'm not cool with, I'm not freaking doing it. <laughs> um, there was a show when Cartoon Network was doing their live action block. Um, there was a show that was a quiz show where they would have like you know teenagers eat a bunch of food, then go onto a roller coaster and answer trivia questions. Oh yeah, dude. Um, I remember if, that. Let me see if I can find the name of that show. Oh my gosh, dude. I remember. So that show was That's called insane. Brain Rush. The show was yeah, called Brain Rush. Man. And um, in my head, it was um, one of those shows that went on for forever. Like I could have sworn they made like three seasons of that show. There yep. were six episodes of that show. <laughs> I just watched it over and over and over again. And... Um, I, I think about that show a lot. Um, in case you were curious, the host of that show is Lamorne Morris, 
um, who would go on to become a very successful comedic actor. (laughs) Dude, Lamorne was in that? He was the host of the show. That's insane, bro. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So I think I love game shows. If I could eliminate... If I could choose three genres of television to survive a nuclear apocalypse, it would be sci-fi shows, sitcoms, and game shows. Like... I mean, freaking hot take, bro. Um, Unpopular opinion. But I, I just like... I love talking about game shows. I could talk about ga- if I were to start another podcast, it could very easily just be about game shows. So um, when I was a kid and you saw like Brain Rush and Destroy Build Destroy and stuff like that, like that like triggered something in my brain, and I like started frothing at the mouth, biting at Cartoon Network to give us more of this. <laughs> Nuts. Um, insane. So yeah, those were the game shows that I had prepared to talk about. Um, Alex, what do we have for free balling? Do you want to talk about Birdcage? Sure. Um, I don't have much to say about Birdcage. It's another one of those movies that um Alex rented on our shared voodoo, so I just you know could watch it. So I did. I just I didn't get much out of it. I wasn't engaged in it. I didn't think it was very funny. Whatever. I, I think that is the thing to talk about. Every other person I've talked to about this is like, oh my gosh, that movie's amazing. And I'm like, what am I missing? It feels like a um, Mrs. Doubtfire in an alternate universe. Yeah. And so this movie is already not off to a great start because it is one of my least favorite comedic tropes, which is pretend to be something else and just wait for the other shoe to drop. Um, so the, what this movie is genuinely about, like if you wanted to get to its core is about, uh, Robin Williams plays, um, a gay club owner, a, a gay gay club owner and, right. uh, lives with <laughs> Nathan Lane, who is a drag queen, also gay. And, um, the son is about to be married to the daughter of an incredibly conservative congressman. And so the parents are about to meet for the first time. And he's like, hey, you're too gay for these conservative people. Can you pretend to be straight for a night? And so the movie is about them trying to learn how to be straight and trying to pretend to be straight in front of these other people. And obviously things go wrong. They find out, blah, blah, blah. Like, it is kind of a movie that I don't... It was exciting when it came out because it was about gay people. And in the 90s, movies about gay people, especially in a positive light, like were few and far between. But now in the year of our Lord 2024, like I don't think that this movie really offers anything other than a historical purpose. Yeah. And I'm watching it because, I mean, I'm going through 100 plus comedies this year. And this is a comedy that is well known and seen by many. So like. If if everyone freaking likes it, I had to watch it. I just think everyone liked it in 1996. And yeah. now I'm thinking like, well, I don't know what's funny because I've seen some of these jokes before. I don't like the tropes. Some of the things were genuinely funny. And another part goes like, I need another person here who laughs first. So now I know what is okay to laugh at, if that makes sense. And I'm not n- normally like that. I usually, if it's funny, you laugh. But I feel like this movie treads the line so much that even though it's like um, very, it's an it's an ally movie. It's it puts gay people in a positive light. It 
there's still some stuff where you're just laughing at how gay something is. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know if that's funny. And I also don't know if that's just who that person is. And this part is a joke or if we're supposed to laugh at the whole thing. And all in all, I didn't think it was everything that was all cracked up to be, even though it had an all-star cast. Yeah. And their son is unredeemable. He's not yeah. a good guy. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Um, um, yeah, go for it, dude. I honestly don't want to talk about this movie very long. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's all I had to say about that. I'm giving it a three and a half. Yeah, again, I'll give it a flat four. If It was yeah. a functioning movie. Sure. Uh, the ending, very unsatisfying. Yeah. It just ends. Yeah. Um, okay. What movie you got? Um, let's talk about the other gay movie I watched, which was All of Us Strangers. Um, so All of Us Strangers. Oh, I was wondering why you didn't say this for the Oscars. It's a snub. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. um, All of Us Strangers is a romance movie, kind of. Um, so I was really hesitant to watch this movie because Paul Meskel is not really in projects that I usually enjoy. Reference uh, after Sun. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I was really nervous that going into this movie, it was going to be another after Sun. And for the first 20 minutes of this movie, it is. And I was oh, like, oh, no. no. And like, it's gorgeous. Like, the cinematography is amazing. Like, there are some shots of Andrew Scott that, like, his head is just up against like a sunset sky. And it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. But the first 20 minutes of this movie are very wandering. And I feel like it sets a tone for this movie, but in a way that, like, could have been truncated. Um, but then we got into the purpose of the movie. And the okay. purpose of this movie was to show how grief and intimacy are so close to each other that they are practically intertwined. Um, Andrew Scott is the main character of this movie. His character's name is Adam. And his parents die in a car accident when he's like 12. And it's it's a fact that he's never gotten over. And... Ne- and um, he never got to tell his parents he was gay. He doesn't get to share any of his accomplishments of being an adult. And now he's like, a, he lives alone um, in a new apartment building with practically no neighbors. And he's incredibly isolated. And then mm-hmm. one day, Paul Meskel shows up on his door, knock, knock, knock. And he goes, hey, we both live in this practically empty apartment building. Do you want to hang out? And they do, and they um, form an intimate relationship with each other. And I don't want to give away the cr- the crux of the f- mechanic of this movie is kind of the best way to put it, because I think it's so much better to experience it naturally. But this movie made me cry in a way that I was not fully expecting to. Um, I find stories about grief very engaging because I think that the idea of grief being ever present and now just being a new part of your life is an incredibly intriguing topic to me. And that's what that movie entirely is, is just, it doesn't matter that your parents died 20 years ago. They were your parents and you miss them and you are alone. And all those things start to compound on each other. And it is just a beautiful movie, gorgeously shot, 
amazing direction. Of all the things that this movie got snubbed for, the thing that I am most upset about is Andrew Scott's performance. He is... He makes this movie work. If it were anyone other than him, it would not be nearly as functional a movie. So I want to give high accolades for that because this movie deserves it. Um, It's one of those movies where like, if you are emotionally tender, if you react um, strongly to stories about grief, like this movie will affect the rest of your week. Like it will be (laughs) on your mind long after you watch it. And that is the sign of a good movie. Um, So I would probably have to put it at eight and a quarter. Sweet, dude. I watched Blazing Saddles. Okay. 50th anniversary this year. Uh, directed by Mel Brooks. Has Mel Brooks in it. Written by Mel Brooks and a couple other people. This movie is, n- it's like top five on every person's list of, oh, you can't make these movies today. It's just got bad words in it, dude. <laughs> that's that's it. It's just, it's a bunch of racial slurs. And then um, uh, well, a non- native person playing a native person okay cool everything else is like yeah it's offensive but like there are still offensive movies being made yeah sure if you just like cut out the slurs or just said hey we're embracing it some people think this is funny um and then just got rid of you know playing someone else's race it could totally get made today um you just got to get real used to hearing the n-word and in a funny way (laughs) and that took me a second because hearing it by Leonardo DiCaprio and Django is one thing. You're like, oh, yeah, this word is used by a white dude, and it's very offensive because it's used with hate. And this, it's used by a white dude. It kind of hate, kind of to be funny, a lot, and you just got to be cool with that. That being said, this movie was really funny for the first two thirds. The last third has is incredible. The four, I've, it, dude, it makes Deadpool's fourth wall breaks look like child's play. Oh, wow. It's like, am I even watching a movie anymore? <laughs> am I in this movie? Does it do it, it better is... than um, Monty Python? Oh, yeah, dude. Okay, good, 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 good. This movie's <laughs> like the blueprint. It's, it, and it goes <laughs> for like 20 minutes. It's insane. It's a 90 minute movie. And the last 20 minutes is just fourth wall break. Because you think at the end of Monty Python, there's the cop out. Yeah. It's like, I guess this is done. Imagine that, but they're like, let's just keep making it longer and longer and longer until it's not funny. And it's now 20 minutes. Yeah. It's so, it's not, I don't even know if it's funny. It's just so absurd. The whole time my mouth was open, like, is this really happening? Is this really happening? It's just something I haven't seen before. And it's crazy that this movie's 50 years old and I haven't seen it since. Yeah. Because it's so good that I'm like, dude, everyone should be stealing this. What are we doing? One person had the multiverse idea. Now it's in freaking everything. And we're not stealing this. This is amazing. Um, dude, it's it's funny. Also, um, another reason why I think it could get made today is like there are jokes at black people's expense. But like the black guys are the good guys. Sure. So it's not punching down if they're the protagonists. It's sure. funny, but then you remember the person saying it is the bad guy. So yeah. you're never thinking like, oh, the writers actually thought that was funny. No, they were making a joke at the expense of the protagonist. So like all above board with me, it was freaking phenomenal. I know why people talk about it all the time. Um, Yeah, dude, I would 
I would watch this again anytime, like tomorrow. And I watched it last week. Definitely, definitely worth a watch. It's, it holds up um, and it's still funny. I'm going to give it freaking one of my favorite comedies I've seen so far, if not my favorite comedy I've watched so far. I'm going to give it an eight and a half. Good. Eight and three quarters. Good, good, good. Um, I'm going to knock two out at once and call it a day. Um, I am now fully caught up on the Alien franchise until the new one comes out this year. I watched mm-hmm. Prometheus and Alien Covenant now. Some context. I watched both of these movies back to back early in the morning. So they <laughs> kind of blend together. So I'm kind of just going to treat it as one four hour movie. Um, people say that these two are among the worst of the alien movies. Those people are bad at thinking about movies because that's simply okay. not true. Um, the my main complaint about the alien franchise remains true which is it is incredibly difficult to care about what happens to any of these characters when they keep replacing the cast in every movie yeah um yeah i get that so by the time you get to prometheus you're just kind of trained to pick up on tropes and like, okay, what trope does this character fill? What trope does this character fill? Because I don't got a lot of time. You might be, yeah. hey, you might be introduced just so you could die in 12 minutes. Um, <laughs> but. Does it feel like at yeah. any point in time, no one's safe? Like anybody could die? Um, or is it still plot armor? Unfortunately, if you don't go in knowing things, then I think. Yeah, no one's safe because they don't exactly have like a main character. Like, like Ripley's not in this. Um, so they introduce a whole new set of characters. However, I knew that Michael Fassbender is in both of these movies, so I'm like, uh-huh. well, something's got to give. Well, um, at least maybe the second movie is a prequel, but that's the only way this works. Yeah. Um, which uh, not likely because Prometheus is a sequel <laughs> already. Oh, It'd well, be a hat okay. on a hat on that one. Um, yes. But these movies are gorgeous. Oh my God. They are like, I mean, Prometheus came out in 2012, which was the perfect bell curve of we learned how to make CGI look good. But before we started overusing CGI on everything. So it lives in this beautiful bubble of this movie just looks sick as hell. Um, Oh, that's sweet, dude. uh, But overall, I think they both are very good blends of action and horror. And like, there are some pretty gnarly kills in this one. Like if you're thinking about like, oh, the first alien movie was the only one that followed traditional slasher tropes. They kind of get back to it on this one where like, there's a scene where there's a couple like making out in the shower together and the xenomorph tail pierces through the glass and through a dude's chest. And you're like, sick. Awesome. (laughs) So, um, Honestly, these two are probably my two favorites outside of the first one. Um, like I said, I have problems with oh, Alien wow. as okay. a whole, but like, mm-hmm. if I were to rewatch the Alien franchise, I would just go Alien, Prometheus, Alien Covenant. <laughs> would it make sense doing that? Yeah. Okay. I don't know anything about it, and I want to watch it too. Do it. That being go said, this series has amazing directors. 
Ridley Scott, <laughs> James Cameron, Dave Fincher. Yeah. It, dude, what the heck, man? I want to take a run at it, and I was only going to watch the first two. Um, but the, I mean, you're selling it. Makes me want to watch all of them. Yeah, for sure. So I'd probably give Prometheus and Covenant like a like a collective flat seven. Wow. All right. Well, I'll wrap up mine too. I did the Mia Goth. Yeah, Mia Goth. Uh, trifecta. I watched X. I watched Pearl. I watched Infinity Pool. Um, she loves putting out movies that are a little weird or a lot of weird and just makes you walk away being like, what did I just watch? That's like her thing, dude. Um, X was great. Um, it was, it was just great. Um, when, I mean, having the antagonist, I don't want to talk about it too much because I want people to see it. And I think if you spoil too much of the bad guys in scary movies, then there's nothing to be afraid of because you know what's happening. The antagonist is terrifying, dude. And I know what you meant when you said it's like, oh, this is like a Michael Myers type situation where they're like slow, but they catch up to you. That was so scary. You just don't know where they're at. It was done so well, dude. Um, Yeah, man. I don't know. I'm just freaking sold on that movie. I think I might have to watch it again around Halloween. Yeah. To get like the full effect. I'm going to give that movie a seven and a half. Okay. I watched Pearl next. This movie, the pacing is so different. Um, and then when stuff finally pops off, you're like, what, dude? It, it, both these movies capture the I don't know exactly what's going on, but I'm worried. And I'm just going to be anxious for the rest of this movie, I guess. Yeah. And her monologue at the end of Pearl is amazing and Oscar worthy. It was phenomenal and her smile at the credits is phenomenal she's so freaking talented dude she's so good um i'm gonna give that a seven and a half too as well seven and a half as well just it's just a completely different movie and i loved them both and i don't know if one was better than the other because they're just so different um and now because i watched both of those i'm like well let me hop over to hulu she just came out with a movie with michael uh, alexander skarsgård this i mean she's doing great this movie is a freaking fever dream <laughs> and has so much like what the fuck is going on <laughs> i'm not okay with this what is happening it's just weird stuff on top of weird stuff on top of weird stuff that i'm like work dude it, i walked away being like i can't go to bed i have to detox with another movie um the director of infinity pool is a guy named brandon cronenberg um mm-hmm. and that's from what I understand, that's kind of his thing. Um, he has a few other movies. The next big one would be a movie called Possessor. And yeah, it's like he kind of has a reputation for these like trippy, gory, like almost torture porny kind of movie. Yeah, <clears throat> I got those vibes. It's just like a lot of violence and a lot of just like taboo sensual stuff. And but like the visuals are off-putting and it's just uncomfortable watching it. It's stressful and uncomfortable and you never get comfortable. You're just watching crazy things happen. And the whole concept is the fact that like a guy goes to resort on a island. And if you commit any atrocities on this island, um, <clears throat> it could be anything, stealing, any felonies, the penalty is death. 
But because that would turn off tourists from coming here because mistakes happen and some people just don't know, like if you do drugs, you're going to die now. They clone you and then they kill your clone. But someone has to pay the price. So for tourists, if you have a lot of money, they'll just have you pay for the procedure and they'll just kill your clone. And then you can go back to doing what you do. But someone had to pay the price. And they put your clone, they fill it with all your memories so it feels like you. And that's the the, uh, victim's retribution. But it turns out they don't kill the clone. They kill the original. And the clone lives. And um, the further you go down this hole, you start getting a clone after a clone after a clone. Mentally, they just start making some weird and bad decisions. And they like it. There's something about these people who are going through it that's enticing. It feels good to be cloned and to watch your body killed. Um, it's just a freaking not okay movie, you know? <laughs> I don't recommend this movie to anything. It's to anybody. It's I guess if you liked Clockwork Orange, oh, this wow. movie is, is probably similar to that. We're just it's all about the weird visuals and what does this mean? What is this imagery? Why there's just violence. Um, Mia Goth, great acting, but and Scarzard, Scarzgard, like great acting, but bro, I don't know what they they read in the script. It's just a freaking crazy movie, and it's so crazy that I'm like, Hulu, why are you putting this on your platform? This is something <laughs> that shows up on like Showtime. Um, this is not like. Hulu Prime Netflix material. This I mean, has got to be on something else. I mean, it did come out in theaters. It's not like a Hulu original. Yeah, I'm just like, y- what made you think putting this on your platform is a good idea? Like, it's just like, let this go to Tubi, bro. <laughs> like, the people who want to watch this movie, I, I think it's literally just like Scarzar's in it, Mia Goss in it. Those are two stars, and they both play their part so well. But the movie's so out of this world disturbing that like it, i don't know man i don't know. i want to hear film bros perspective on this <laughs> i'm giving it a freaking six if i'm being generous a six and a quarter but it's freaking hard to watch sometimes sure all I right i hope i sold that movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah um alex what are we watching next week we're watching scorsese's martin scorsese's top two it's one or two best movies. We're watching Raging Bull. Okay, good, good, good. I'm I'm not too worried about this one. Yeah, it's 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 a boxing movie. You either like them or you don't. But it's supposed to be either it's it's people always say it's this and Taxi or this Taxi Driver and Goodfellas are yeah. like the top three. Mm-hmm. And this is always one or two. So I mean, it has to be. Good. I love Scorsese. I love boxing. De Niro's the main character. It's a it's it's a wonder I haven't seen this yet, but I'm I'm really excited to watch it. Yeah. Um. But until then, my name is Craig Wells, aka Permanent Handle, and I'm Alex Good, aka Alex Good. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. And while you're at it, tell your mom I said hi. See you next week. Deuces. <laughs>